Welcome everyone to the fourth episode of Asking for a Mate. Today I'm going to be having a chat with Clayton. He's a fellow podcaster who works in a creative space and decided to launch a podcast around uh, mental health resilience in, in the creative field. What we're going to be talking about today is how to raise a good man and how he's indeed trying to raise uh, a good man, his son, Phoenix. Um, I really enjoyed um, recording this episode, so I hope you do too. Hello, Susie. How are you doing? Fantastic. Okay, so I did a bit of research and I got more and more Uh-oh. excited. The, no, no, I don't think it's like <laughs> I don't know. Like anyway, um, I got a yeah, I got a bit excited about what we were going to talk about because I think it's a it's a crucial discussion, and I was really really looking forward to having a chat with a man like you. Um, yeah, so maybe to explain, to give a bit of background. Clayton and I are going to explore a topic about um, how do you raise a good man, whatever that means. Yeah, it's fraught with danger. But yeah, yeah, I got really excited because I think there are a lot of different aspects of it that we can we can chat about and have your opinion on it. And I've got I've got mates that are either father of daughters, sorry, of like girls. So only have daughters. Or they don't have kids. So, and my dad has three daughters. So, I, yeah, I, I mean. Yeah. Look, I feel like it's a super interesting topic. And I think when we first talked about doing this, what really stood out to me was that it's an interesting question because I feel like most people don't know how to take care of themselves to start with. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, now throw another human being in. Yeah. So, you. A bit of background, you have a son yourself, right? I have a two-year-old son, or well, he's, he's two in a couple of weeks, uh, named Phoenix. I love it, Phoenix. Yep. Wow. Phoenix Jackson Royal Udato, actually. God. Um, we went all out. That's a rock star name. <laughs> that's what I thought so. I really hope he becomes famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to put any pressure on him at two years old, but, yeah, I did tell him, my wife, Melissa, that yeah. the name needed to be something that sounded like a, a really cool bass playing samurai that was just badass. Yeah. So, Do you know Phoenix, the, the French band? No. I'll send it to you. It's really, really cool. There you go. Yeah, like in the – they got really, really famous, I think, late 90s, early 2000. You might already know some of their songs. It's so funny because when whenever that comes on, like the radio or something or at a club, and I get very excited and everyone looks at me and be like, oh, what is this? <laughs> like, it's Phoenix. I'm like, no, still no. And I grew up just thinking that Phoenix was like an American thing because they yeah. sing in English, but no, it's a wow. French band, so I'll send it to you. I'll Please. put in the notes of the podcast if anyone is interested. <laughs> um, yeah, so Phoenix. Yeah. So tell us about, about Phoenix. So he's too soon. He's, he's too soon. Um, and my wife and I uh, have been trying for a long time for kids. And uh, for a number of years we went through a number of pretty heavy miscarriages. Okay. Um, probably about... I think it was three before him uh, and then he was IVF and, yeah, I was really excited because his due date was uh, the 5th of August, which was a day before my birthday and I'd kind of always joked to Mel that, uh, Mel, my wife, that I wanted another little Leo because I think we're just the best people in the world. Um. And, yeah, he ended up coming early for some complications, was born 19th of July. Hands a cancer. As a cancer. The best people in the world. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really? Are you? <laughs> oh, man. No. You know, it's good. Okay. Um, How was it when you, when you heard that you were going to have a son? What did you feel like? Because obviously it's like either it's yeah. 50-50, right? Look, at that point we were very much a – just one step at a time phase. I'd seen 
three previous scans and photos of my unborn children not making it. So that was pretty heavy on my heart. So you get to the point there where you almost don't get so emotionally detached until it's kind of real and it's happened. And it's there in your arms. Yeah. And, I mean, look, the good thing about all that stuff happening was uh, everybody that I spoke to about it had been through a similar thing. Like I do think it's something that people don't talk about a lot but it's something that a lot of people go through. Um, So we always had a lot of support and and a lot of people in the same kind of boat. Um, But then, yeah, when it it became real and we got through a couple of each one of those safety markers along the way, I don't know, it just suddenly became the most natural thing to me. As in like, yeah, okay, this is happening. I was ready. Like, you know, I kind of put out to the universe a little while before that, that, hey, I'm, I'm ready for this. I distinctively remember always uh, I'd go to the gym at Virgin Actum. They'd have a pool there and Sundays were like family swim days. So you'd go past and I'd always see the dads in the pool with their kid and I'm like, man, like I, I'm ready for this, right? Like yeah. can this happen? So, you know, you start thinking about those little things. What what are the aspects of life that are going to change, improve, just like develop and what are things you're going to be doing with this person, this little human being? That's cool. All the fun that you're going to have. Yeah. yeah. So today we were we kind of decided that we wanted to cover the point of how do you make sure that you raise a good man? Yeah. And when we were like preparing the episode, we were kind of saying like the world very recently has been, I think we're more aware of a lot of, attitude and behaviors that men have had in the past that potentially we are not going to let them happen again and and I think society has kind of agreed on on becoming a bit different and changing and I mean as a woman I couldn't agree more but I think I've been thinking about my friends uh, and potentially future kids that would have about how I would raise them and you know how a man nowadays decide or, you know, is brought up to become a good man that is going to fit the new society that we're in. And I was really looking forward to talking to a man about it that, A, is going through the evolution of society whilst it's happening, plus also maybe reflecting on, okay, how do I bring this into my child's upbringing? Because, you know, potentially your dad didn't teach you about other things or even, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's your dad or your mum, but, you know, how do parents... Uh, influence the upbringing of someone especially when it comes to relationship with others and with women whether they are like straight straight or gay doesn't matter but like how yeah how do we bring this into our little tiny human being that we create so I think before kind of starting embarking on all discussion, one of the questions that I had for you, and it's a big one, is <laughs> what is it or what does it mean to be a good man for you? Yeah, well, I think that's where you really have to to start the whole conversation, right? And when you think about uh, raising a child or being a leader in any capacity, like I do think that being a dad is being a leader to an extent, and the same sort of leadership skills that you would you would have in any other place, whether that's, uh, you know, on a sporting field or as part of your your own family or running a business. Um, there's similar kind of traits and leadership styles, I guess. But I think it really comes down to kind of leading by example and, and showing what it is. And when you say, yeah, what – how am I going to teach someone to be a good man? You kind of have to go, well, yeah, what, is, what does that mean to me? How am I going to be a good man? Am I? You know, like I feel like I spent a lot of my whole 20s having that internal conversation or is around kind of am I a bad person that does good things or am I a good person that does bad things? And there was this real kind of like philosophical introspect that I have that I went through that I kind of still go through day to day, you know, and I think that is for me personally aligning myself to some core values that I set. Um, you know, I not recently but about a year ago always kind of knew the person I wanted to become but 
I took some time out to actually write down all my personal values and what they mean to me and how can I implement them every day. It's still something that I do try and read every day to set me up. It reminds me that every interaction that I have, um, am I aligning to those goals and those core values because I think that's how we become congruent as people and that's where happiness comes from is when that core aligns with the stuff that we do externally. Um, so when we talk about what a good man is, I do think that that's a, an internal thing. Um, and good has to be what you define it as opposed to what I think a society or an external person feels. Yeah. Kind of makes sense? No, it does make sense for sure. So if you could describe um, like how you'd like your son to be like in the future... How would you describe him if you could say, like, let's say he just turned 30 and you're giving a speech on his birthday and and you have to talk about him? Don't make me think about how old I'll be at that time. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or, yeah. (laughs) I can't lose any more hair, so that's a win. Um, Look, I think it's – they're kind of traits that we're very consciously trying to put into him now, which is really – being adventurous, being kind of fearless or at least courageous to do the things that he feels like, craft his own sort of identity. Um, I think, you know, something that I had to really think about and be conscious of because I think I'm an awesome human being and I love a lot of things about me. Thank you. I don't want to try and make another little version of me. Okay. I want as much as there's there's an egotistical part of me that's like, I have a little mini me clone. Um, it can't, you just can't do that, right? I need to let him be his own person yeah. and empower him and give him the tools that are they're going to elevate his own core spirit, right? Um, because I already see very much he's not going to be me. Well, he's a cancer. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think that. It's really about building him up and I would hope that on his 30th birthday he kind of looks and goes, I, I took chances. I had the freedom and, and secure – like right now we go to a park, for instance, and I hate being those parents that compare your children to other children, but I feel like we've created a an environment for him where he feels secure in himself and that where they're – um, to love and support him but not over the top and overbearing. So he'll go off and wander and, and play around and we generally stay back and let him learn and explore and fall down and experience pain and experience happiness and, and crying and let him get to know all those emotions by himself and, and how that works and very much not being over the top of him and not coddling him and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So I feel like developing an independence is an important thing but I feel like even looking around now, like some of my friends and, and co-workers and people you meet, I feel like had they felt comfortable taking more chances in their life, mm-hmm. they would be more happier or be further along. Um, and I think fear and insecurity and anxiety holds a lot of people back and I'll just really hope that that's something that he doesn't have. Yeah. I think that's what we were talking about when we – we were preparing the the podcast is the fact that having the security is basically the base of everything. And if you have that, you are ready to take on the world and to do a lot of different things because you know that you've got a safe space or at least that you feel confident that you've got security in yourself or outside of yourself. So you, I think, I think you're right. Definitely having that security, whether you're going to end up being successful or not, doesn't really matter. It's more like the experience and the chances that you've taken. And Absolutely. I think it's, it's been very true. I don't, I don't think many parents do think this way, though. I think they really want to make sure that they tick a lot of boxes um, and and kind of wouldn't really allow failure in a way. But I think yeah. you've got a different output on that. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> Why do I think that is? Um, I think it, you, were, you know, were talking about um, parents comparing each other and comparing each other's kids. And I have a feeling that there is a little bit of that. Like I can see how my parents 
in in one aspect, but also some of my friends kind of do want to make sure that they are seen in the right way by their friends. Yeah, uh, yeah that could be something. Know, it's a bit of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I I feel for yeah, I for new so. parents, especially if they're a little bit insecure or, or they're trying to. I don't know. Like, there's that classic thing of living your hopes and dreams and the stuff that you didn't achieve through mm-hmm. your children as well, um, which scares the crap out of me. There's no way I'm going to do that, but who are knows? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, are you sure? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, yeah, even there lately, and I'm saying this, he's two years old again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just walking near a park recently and he saw a bunch of kids skateboarding and I grew up skateboarding and he – got so excited like I could tell he was just like shaking oh this is a this is awesome so I got my old skateboard out and he's obsessed with it now and every Saturday we're going to a local skate park and he's like riding wants to do every jump and he's obviously the smallest kid there and I'm going okay does he really love this or did I do something that he's reacted to and and I'm pushing my interests on him but confident that I'm not but yeah, who knows? Like, you'd be really self-aware of that stuff, right? What about on the other way? If he decides to do something that you actually don't really like or enjoy, like I don't know, violin, and you hate violin, or I love violin. It's okay. gorgeous. Is there anything? <laughs> is, is there anything you hate and you would hate for him to like take on? I think it's intention, right? Like, I I'm really happy for him to try anything as long as it's something that he feels passionate about, or he might learn from, or he wants to give a go because we've raised him to try new things. I don't want him to do stuff to feel like he has to impress anybody else or because, you know, God, I say it because all these friends do it, but that's kind of what we do, right? We're product products of our environment. But, you know, if it's to impress a girl or a boy or, or make someone else think that they like them, like that's sort of the wrong reason or what's what's behind that at least – I'd like to feel like I'd be in a place to go, okay, he wants to feel like he's part of a group or a community. Does that mean he feels a little bit lost? And is there something, a self-discovery that he needs to go through? Yeah. So you were you were saying that even though there's a part of you that would like him to be like you, but you're trying to be mindful of it. Yeah. Do you still want to be a role model for him or you wouldn't describe yourself? A hundred percent. Okay, still. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing with, with parenthood and and raising a raising a any kid, I guess. And again, being a leader, it's I want him to to go by my actions rather than what I tell him. Mm. Because and you mentioned it at the start about interactions with people. I know even going out now, I want him to see that every interaction that I have with somebody. I know he's watching me. Yeah. And so even if it's as simple as ordering a coffee, if I'm respectful, yeah. if I'm asking questions, if I if I give part of myself and I'm generous with my own spirit to somebody else, yeah. he goes, okay, those pathways in his brain goes, this is how I interact with another human being. Yeah. Um, conversely, if I was rude or had negative energy, then that's how he sees, yeah. that's how he do it. He hears everything I say. He pays really close attention to the relationship that I have with my wife. Mm-hmm. So I'm really conscious of always telling her I love her, being affectionate. Um, yeah. I do the same thing for him. You know, I tell him all the time. Um, there's a lot of positive affirmations going on in our house that I've probably make people sick if they witnessed it. But I think love and generosity is a really powerful thing to witness. And then for someone as, as impressionable, uh, that makes a big difference in their life Yeah, for sure. It kind of like reminds me of one of the interviews that I was listening to when, when I was doing research for the podcast is um, a guy that was explaining that he's conscious of not making, for example, like dick jokes in, in their household because he doesn't it's want to put the specific. pressure on. Yeah, sorry, it's very specific. <laughs> but I think it's, it's a, you know, things that society has said that it's normal to make jokes about yep. and just saying, oh, he's a big dick. Or, yeah, absolutely. And but if you push it a little bit further to just not just masculinity and, and your own identity, it's um, like jokes that have been okay to make about gay people or you know just common language yeah, slang absolutely. that can actually be um, negative towards certain people, certain 
like race or genders or whatever. And, um, and I think that's something that I was trying to ingrain in my friends as well. And I don't know if you could relate to that is, you know, how a lot of people use the word pussy. Yeah. And every time I'm like, well, you know, not, you know, if my, my friend was like French or pussies, and I'm like, well, amazing because <laughs> pussy is a fucking, you know, most beautiful thing ever. And you yeah. looked at me and was like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so it's kind of like what you were saying about um, everything leading by example. I yeah. think because there are things that now seems to be normal to say, uh, for example, dick jokes, uh, yeah. might be things that you want to take Absolutely. completely out of your households, yeah. your household, sorry, and, and not have kind of your son being uh, raised hearing those things. So is that something that you're conscious of yeah. taking away or? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And look, there's there's a lot of really finer points in that, and I we are very conscious of language in our household. I mean, there's a little bit of a byproduct of my wife being a school teacher and being trained sure. in in childhood psychology. But even things like we've had to tell all our parents um, not to like say "good boy" to him, oh, like really? he's not yeah. a dog, right? And he shouldn't be doing things for your approval anyway. Mm-hmm. Like you can say stuff like good effort or, mm. you know, like I love the way you tried to do that. But, yeah, there's there's different language points that really trigger those things and, and we're super conscious of it. But, again, that's one of those stuff that is a parenting, unique parenting skill. So Yeah. Yeah. So there was one kind of uh, quote or statement from apparently – I think, do you pronounce it Aristotle? Or Aristotle, yeah. Aristotle, yeah. In French, you say Aristote, so it's very confusing for me. Do I like your way better? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> We're going deep, though. That's like this is a few years ago. <laughs> no, don't worry. It's actually – but I like to get your point of view on it. He says, give me a child until he's seven and I'll show you the man. Kind of meaning that raising – um, a kid, let's just say a kid, because it doesn't matter whether it's, I guess it's a guy or a girl, but you've got kind of seven years to distill things into him or her um, and kind of a little bit is too late afterwards. Is that something that resonates or you're kind of like, no, bullshit? I think there are definite traits, but I, I hate to do this and it feels egotistical, but I want to, argue with Aristotle. Do it. I feel like I'm a completely different man than I was when I was seven. I feel like when I was 14, I was completely different to seven. I feel like I was 21, I was different. And in the past five years, I've transformed again. So you're 26 now. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I skipped a large chunk of those years. But you look 26 anyway. Thanks. Um. Yeah, it's. I think that we have to learn and grow and adapt and change. And I think life throws a lot of stuff at you that you do. And you look, that might have made sense for Aristotle because they were probably working in fields when they were seven years old and that was kind of manhood, right? True. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, when I was that age, I was, I was filled with a lot of anger and a lot of uncertainty and I didn't have a lot of good father male role models around and I kind of probably picked up that stuff later in life um, particularly around how to be a man and a lot of that was figured out by myself so you know as you move environments I think you learn and adapt and absorb what's happening around you and like you said there was social changes that happened as well and not that I feel like you know I would never teach my son hey don't be disrespectful to women because now you might get caught for doing it like it's always a core component there of of being good internally first but yeah I think that kind of stuff has an impact and if you're not changing and you're not growing over that time yeah um but look it's it's funny when you think about being a kid and I think there is something that definitely happens which I want to be really conscious of and everyone goes through this right where I don't remember what stage it happened for you, but for me, kind of around that 12, 13, 14 year old mark, you start to realize that your parents 
aren't these shiny golden guides in life, right? They're human beings. They have faults. They've made errors. And I became very real to me that they're not having an impact on the world or life. Maybe they've given up on their dreams. The, you know, the stuff that they focused on was about kind of getting through the system mm. as opposed to making anything for themselves. And I would hate that from this point, like I said, I positive affirmations for Phoenix, encouraging him to do anything he can be, um, to be anything that he wants to explore and live life and go out and chase his dreams and set big monster dreams that he can chase. I'd hate for one day when he's 14 for me to go, so you, can, you can do whatever you want to do, be whatever you want to become. Him to turn around and go, okay, well, why haven't you? Mm. Why, why didn't you do that? Yeah. Why did you give up essentially, Dad? And that's, that haunts me. And I feel like that almost drives me more day-to-day to go, okay, if I'm trying to raise a kid like that, I have to be an example of that. Yeah. Um, seeing a lot of my male friends going through the moment where they realise that their dad are not actually the role model that they should aspire um, becoming. Yeah. And that's very confronting. And and some of my past partners having seen them going through that, oh. it's pretty harsh to to see. So yeah. is that something that scares you, the day where Phoenix would be like, I don't want to be like my dad? Or I hope you like I I hope I think you hope that you never say that, but I hope that he never thinks I gave up on life. Yeah. Like it's hard. I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a a strong male role model. And my mum for all the intention was awesome. And and I think that I carry a lot more, I guess, feminine traits to an extent, or at least I, I know the needs of that kind of like female gender role Mm-mm. to extend it. I don't want to put anybody in boxes, but, um, and I saw pretty much one after another, how men failed that woman. Um, and I guess irrespective of, of kind of the, the gender thing. Yeah. The biggest thing is I don't want him to look at me and say, why, why did you give up? Or it's, Dad gave up, so why can't I? That's how you do things. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you were saying that you were kind of mainly raised by your mom and having feminine traits. Um, I guess you're talking about communications, emotional kind of awareness. Yeah. Um, when when looking up online, just the good old Google search being how do you raise a good man, um, a lot of like generic average articles I read were about, you know, teach Emma to express feelings. You don't need to tell him to be tough. Um, you know, be respectful, be aware of, you know, your strength, like physical strength. Yeah. It was interesting to me because I was trying to think about what if I start Googling how to be, how to raise a good girl, which even though would be a bit of a weird search. Yeah. But um, as you know, asking for a mate, was created to be a, pl- a platform where guys can feel comfortable talking about anything and, and everything they want, especially when it comes to emotional, um, uh, like anything about feelings and emotions because come from the realisation that it's not really something that society puts first and allows men to to have a safe space to do that and feel comfortable in that. So nowadays is raising a good man kind of – a lot about having this confidence, sorry, not comfort, but having this confidence of it being able to express emotions and feelings, which kind of you were raised doing, I guess, by your mum. Yeah. Is that something that you're aware of in in the way you're raising Phoenix? Um, or is that just something that's so natural to you? Anyway, it's going to it's gonna come. Yeah. Oh, look, I think there's, there's two sides of it. It's, yes, being around emotion environmentally is a good thing. I think that, you know, traditionally if you look at families a little while ago, then it was very much an emotionally enclosed um, void kind of space. And now, yeah, we talk about that a lot more. I think 
that being around my mom and, you know, my aunties that were always there and things like that. I'm not going to say that my ability to display emotions was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's like, okay, I learned that it's okay for someone else to be really emotional and you to be a supportive kind of rock. Like mm-hmm. it's, for me, it almost felt like, okay, I needed to step up and be something more stable or role model for my younger brother and sister. Cause I think that is another contributing factor as well. Yeah. And now, even now with my wife, um, I can give her the freedom to have those emotional mm-hmm. moments yeah. and those times, which again, not to label it, but it is a, a very feminine thing and a female quality where women need to explore that kind of stuff, I think, a little bit more than men. I don't think that there's anything wrong with men doing it and that needs to be done as well. Obviously that's why something like this exists mm-hmm. and why I think we're very much headed into a place where we can talk about those kind of mental health issues and things like that that have been backed up for years and it's really around emotional awareness. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like I'm very conscious of my own emotions and empathy to me as a person. Um, I feel like I can pick that up in other people really well and I think that by having that experience, I've got a pretty good switch and gauge on when to show emotion and, and give a lot of myself or to pull back and say, okay, for that other human being, I need to actually be a little bit closed off and and steady here. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of how I see it in terms of like gender role and emotion, to be honest. Okay. So you are, are you kind of saying that you, you want to, in your family, you want to be the the rock of the family and you want to show your kid that you're no I don't think I don't think it's defined as heavily defined as that okay I want him to see me being emotional I do I I don't want to close it off to him yeah I want him to see me failing I want him to see me vulnerable yeah and scared sometimes and things like that I want to see I want him to see how I react to it yeah whether that's good or bad I also want him to see how I react when my wife's emotional. Mm. She, um, you know, suffers with anxiety and and some depressions and bouts where she does get really upset and angry and doesn't know why and that's like a frustration loop that happens. And in those times it doesn't serve her, me or him if I get emotional as well or play into it. So... You know, there are coping mechanisms that we have. The majority of it is around letting mum do her thing and we do our thing and we're helping out by, yeah, being less emotional, I guess. Yeah, okay. And that does make sense. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting point yeah. about how do you behave when your partner, and I think whether it's female or male, um, how do you behave when your partner is being emotional and 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 the ability of, of showing compassion but still being strong for the two of them of, and for the family if you've got more kids. Yeah. I think that's almost two different things. It's it's how you being a, a good human being yeah. as yourself yeah. and that's when you can dive into that um, combination of everything that you're experiencing and showing and then there's how to be a good partner. And yeah. I feel like in relationships, so like I don't know if you know them but I know them where I've had friends where – the male is gets really over-emotional or assumes that kind of part in the relationship and the female kind of naturally more gravitates to a traditional male role mm. where they're a little bit more closed off or fact-based and, and things like that. And yeah. to me it feels like a, a natural thing but I always find that they lose that rhythm in, in the relationship when that happens or if one person forces to be changed to go into another role mm-hmm. in that relationship, there's friction. You know, I've never seen a relationship where both people play the really closed-off role or both people play the really emotional role. Like I think there are passionate levels of passion involved <laughs> but I, my own experience, one person's more one way than the other for the ones that work. 
Okay. It's kind of like you know, brain, left side, right side, and having a balance. Yeah, yeah no, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Well, they say that in, for example, like lesbian couples, um, there is this idea of like a more caring and a more kind of strong yeah. um, character, even though there are two women anyway. Yeah. That Exactly. Um, there, there needs to be a balance between the... Yeah, it's definitely not a physical thing. I think it's a, yeah. an internal energy thing. With all of life, right, there needs to be a balance. Mm. Talking about that, um, if Phoenix, Phoenix kind of like at some point shows that he is attracted more to guys. Yeah. How, like, have you thought about that and how you would react and how you would kind of approach that conversation? I, yeah, I, I really think it's a non-factor. It's not yeah. even like I've, yeah, I've thought about it for all of about 0.5 of a second. As long as he shows love to another human being and he's happy. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just it's ways to treat us collectively and another person. I don't, I don't give a shit. But is that then something that you bring into the day to there where, you know, a lot of other parents, because I, I imagine maybe not yourself, but other parents would be like, oh, is that your girlfriend? And, and you know, the oh, yeah. kind of vocabulary yeah, that we use to... Yeah. to um, yeah, definitely. Not stigmatized, but to normalize thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a man, then you obviously have girlfriends. Yeah, look, it's – I think I'm in a very lucky position where he's going to school at, at Newtown. Yeah. Um, it's an area where he sees two mums picking up his friends. He'll see two dads. He'll see, uh, you know, there's a lot of families there which are either single parents or there's like four parents. There's like – a lesbian couple and a gay couple and, you know, they've got three dads and, and all this kind of stuff. Like it's really cool. And I think that was part of us being in that place because he gets that diversity. Mm. But, yeah, look, there's going to be those language times when you need to discuss that. But I think it's sort of how we react to those things as well. Like if I hear that, am I blowing up to be a big thing? Or are we just having that conversation with him on the side somewhere yeah. else? It's the same thing as, you know, we learnt really early on. If he falls over and bangs his head, if I freak out about it, then he freaks out about it and he thinks, oh, my God, I banged my head. Otherwise, if you just kind of ignore it, he gets up, kind of rubs it off. You go, rub your head. Yeah, you're good. Okay. And he yeah. keeps going. Like, yeah. I think if sometimes parents can make big issues about something that they feel personally and then push that reaction on sure. their child. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because one of the articles I was reading was explaining how um, the new, the next generation, new generation, is going to be automatically more open-minded than what we are and what our parents were. Because as you said, they grew up with a lot different norms. Like, yes, having two moms being picked up, picking up the kids is completely normal. If you think about it, like 30 years ago, that would have been absolutely... Absolutely. Absolutely weird. Yeah. And can you imagine all the other parents at that place? Like all the attention would have gone straight onto that people. Completely. So. And the same way that potentially when you and I were growing up, that having divorced parents was something that started becoming normal. Yeah. But for our parents, it was absolutely not normal. Very taboo. Very taboo, right? And it was like, I mean, I'm divorced and, and I absolutely have no problem with, with that fact. But yep. I can imagine that 30, 40 years ago, that would have been a real big problem. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's it's very exciting for them growing up in such a new, beautiful, diverse, you know, like we welcoming environment. Yeah. And and one of the points in the article was saying that as parents, because we're not even there yet, how do we raise kids? to be even more open-minded than what we are and, and to kind of push the boundaries are the things that we feel comfortable because, you know, you might be, be comfortable with a, a gay couple, but there are yeah. nothing there. There might be new things that you don't even know that you're comfortable <laughs> with them or not. And your kids are going to like kind of bring it to your house and you'll be like, Oh, how do I feel about that? Awesome. I'm so looking forward to it. Look, I think that comes back to, again, you need to look at who you are as a person. If you stop growing or learning or opening your own mind up, five, 10, 15 years ago, then you're just failing at life in general. Like I'm very conscious of reading books, reading articles, trying to get as much new information into your brain. You need to change who you are to keep up with stuff. 
and adaptability and change I think is going to be a massive trait for anyone who wants to succeed in the next near future, you know. Um, So, yeah, keep up with it. It's the same, like, little things terrify me. Like, okay, what's the new phone that's going to come out or or something like that? Like, you know, you look at parents now and technology is somewhere where we see that immediate disconnect. Completely. But what if they had actually put some time in to learn and... I actually uh, wrote a whole talk about how I'm going to keep up with technology to make sure that I don't disconnect with my grandchildren. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're completely right. Definitely technology in the same way as, like, what what is society doing and where we are evolving. Yeah, that's right. We need, Thoughts we need and feelings and society, like, you have to stay on top of that stuff. Completely. You have to train your brain. Like, the point of the talk was that your brain becomes very lazy as you grow older and basically 28 is kind of the tipping point of this from now you're just going to become lazier and lazier so you need to train your brain to kind of stretch the muscles all the time to learn new things and to push your um, level of comfort especially with with technology or with like new things new music new movies everything's going to be like, oh, yeah. it was better before. And you, you hear so many, like, all <laughs> totally. the generation, like, oh, you know, back in the old days it was better and yeah. music and stuff. So, But it's right. They haven't developed that muscle that allows them to keep growing and learning. But aren't you, like, afraid of it, of becoming this old man, old grumpy man that would say that things were better before? And no. No. I'd, I'm scared of being an old grumpy man. And, in fact... I don't know enough scares the right word. I'm kind of looking forward to it a little bit. But the learning thing, I just, I feel like that is such an ingrained part of me that it, it will be there. I have no doubt. So what are the fears that you have right now with, with your son, with Phoenix, if you have any? It's a good question. I wouldn't say they're fears because I feel like everything that's going to happen is a learning experience. Um, Like, you know, I'm still waiting for me to fuck up really badly with him. Like it's just it's whether that's in my relationship or with him initially or like what's a really bad thing that's going to, that I'm going to do that's going to affect um, and cause him trauma. Like I, again, I'm, I'm aware that I'm a human being as well. Yeah. And that I embrace failure, and I'm going to be trying new things, and what's going to happen. So I don't know what that specifically is, but uh, you know, other kind of fears would be around. Okay, I run a business now. What happens if I tank that? what kind of financial security to an extent and then do I even care about that? Like they're those kind of me not being really decisive with my own values and I guess what I believe in that he's going to see as well. Um, Because, yeah, like I, I even think about, you know, when we started talking about this, there are things that make me up as a human because of how other people fucked up in the past, like all those men before me. Yeah. Um, the horrible situations in my family where growing up something affected me that really really made who I am and, and developed a personality trait. If I'm trying to avoid those same fuck-ups because everyone goes, I don't want my son to get raised like I raised him. Is he going to miss out on those personality traits because there wasn't that thing that developed his resilience or his grit or his determination? Is he going to be too comfortable? Like, it's kind of all that stuff. But I'm not scared of it. I'm more excited that it's going to happen and really just, yeah, pumped to see what kind of person he turns out to be. Oh, God, it makes me really worried about being a parent myself. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make you worried. (laughs) Because you're right. You have a human being that you're responsible for. I mean, obviously you've got a partner with you, hopefully, that can help 
you not fuck it up, but you know, big question, what are you gonna fuck up? Yeah. And when and it's gonna happen, right? Yeah. Oh boy. Jesus, I'm not looking <laughs> forward to that. Um kind of the the last ish question I wanted to chat to you about is um not not asking you if that's the plan, but if you were to have a daughter next. How do you think you would change you as a dad? Would you be different? I, oh, look, I'm going to say I don't think so. Okay. And in fact, I already know that I'm going to have one. Oh, yeah, did you? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you mentioned that Mel is pregnant, right? No? Oh, no. Maybe. No? <laughs> um, oh, I can get that. She's so not I, pregnant. Oh, sorry. Okay. And in fact, we've had another. Okay. Three miscarriages oh, really uh, in the past six months, I think. But um, we're trying for one. Okay. I know the next one's going to be a girl. Okay. Um, she will arrive at the exact right time like yeah. Phoenix did. Yeah. Uh, I've already got her name, which Mel's was, totally vetoed. I was going to say, is she going to have the coolest name as yeah, well? Yeah, she's going to have the coolest name. Okay. Mel's already said no to it. Great. But she's gonna. that's what her name's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> And I think she's going to be a complete opposite to what Phoenix is, who's very calm and gentle and I'm really looking forward to having a complete terror of a little girl running around. And, look, again, that's me putting pressure on deciding what their personality is going to be. But, again, I'm really looking forward to it because it gets me, it allows me to explore the life of another human being and be so close to that. And I think that a big part of life is making connections and feeling love and giving love. And mm. I know how much of that has changed since he's come along. Yeah. That, man, it, it blows my mind to think how much greater that could be if, if another little girl came into it as well. Mm. Yeah, a terror apparently. A little you already terror. know. Is that because Mel is a terror herself? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it's the whole mama's like he's really um he's like her. Okay. So, so you're the terror. Yeah, I got a feeling that okay. she's, she's gonna like be the you. one that shit stirs and yeah. and tries to pick at people a little bit. Yeah. So if if Phoenix because obviously you he's very calm from what you've said and, and yeah. very gentle right now. If when he grows up, you kind of hear or you understand that he's is full is is failed to be what we kind of talked about about being a, a good man and and showing the values that you've taught him. What what's do you think is going to be your reaction and how do you even like think it's possible with that? I I don't know if it's possible. I, it's it's highly possible that he turns out a different person than. I expected him to be. Mm-hmm. In fact, I hope I hope he does. Um, if it's something where he has what I would call bad traits and does mm-hmm. bad to other people, then that's a complete failing on my part. I would I would actually take that responsibility. Um, but I I don't see it happening because there is that nature nurture thing where there is a good person inside him and. Yeah. Even now, uh, the empathy and the compassion that he has, which there is no way that I could have taught in the short amount of time he's been on the earth, is very, very present. Yeah. Something I, re- I really love about him. And, yeah. I, and then I guess to go further into that question, if he did something down the track, I don't think he's ever – I don't think any human being is totally defined on a path and – or a lost cause or unworthy of another chance to redeem themselves. For sure. But I think, you know, when you were saying that it would be a failure on your side, um, I still have a feeling that society applies a lot of pressure. Like one of the the, the greatest article I read about uh, on, on this topic was around the fact that you can be a good man, but society sometimes pressures you or your surroundings pressure you to be a real man. And basically you, you behave not according to your values. You kind of betray your values to prove something to other people. And then I would see that as a weak man. As a weak man. Yep. 
I, I. But you, you've, I'm sure that growing up, you've had those moments where you haven't lived up to your values and. Oh yeah, sure. Never aligned to society, but yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot from that. And you know, one of the big things that we haven't mentioned that I want to tell, teach him is not to give a single fuck about what anybody else thinks yes. or says and is true to himself. Yeah. And yeah, the lines get blurred when you try to think, okay, well, what's actually true to myself? Is it because of society telling me one thing? But no, I don't think that any human being should do something because of what the general populace does. Yeah. So last question for me. Um, for because of like very unfortunate events um, recently, I've realized that you know a podcast is a a lifelong memory of of you know someone um, and could basically listened in in many many years. Uh, so it's very powerful, and I think it's a very powerful tool. And I've, I've now realized like the 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 beauty of it and yep. the message that it can carry across the years. So I've, when I was thinking about this interview together, I was like, we're going to be talking about your son, and I think. Maybe for some reason your son will be listening to this when he's a bit older and he can understand like the, the chat that we've had. Yeah. And maybe, you know, even thinking about himself becoming a, a dad. Um, is there something that you'd like to say to him or to be future, his future him about, you know, everything we talked about and what kind of the hopes that you've got for him or even for you too or uh, short message? Cece, I love I love the premise. Um, but I would just hope that it's something that I tell him every single day and that I love whoever he is inside himself and that I hope he does too and I'm proud of him, whatever he does. Yeah. Well, I hope that he listens to this one day and understands the whole conversation we've had. Absolutely. Maybe not today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe let's wait a bit. <laughs> yep, and that I'm completely right about his sister. Well, I don't know. I, I hope I hope for him, no, because it means he's going to be having a terrifying Imagine what he'll learn about it. For sure. Well, I think Phoenix is extremely lucky to have a dad like I you. agree with you. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure a beautiful mum. I haven't met Mel, but I'm sure Absolutely. that you guys are um, a great team. Um, I really hope that you do end up with a, a daughter. I don't know if she's going to be crazy, but... Um, <laughs> I think it would be a great addition to the team. So thanks so much for your time for coming and talking to me. Um, and maybe we'll have another episode talking about, I don't know, something different or, or your daughter. Anytime.